Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. This episode of the Get Up Nation podcast is sponsored by Ideal State Consulting an organization committed to increasing the effectiveness of public servants such as mental health professionals, paramedics, firefighters, medical emergency department personnel, and law enforcement by incorporating the latest technology, emotional intelligence, and evidence-based practices. The American public demands and deserves excellence. Ideal State Consulting reinvigorates and revolutionizes lethargic agencies that are asleep at the wheel while America drives forward. If you're tired of the conflict and stress attached to ineffective, out-of-touch, and inefficient service, Ideal State Consulting will get you where the public and your organization want to go. Episode 14 of the Get Up Nation podcast features Michelle Hart, the co-author of Mental Health Emergencies, a guide to recognizing and handling mental health crises. She has over 20 years' experience in the field of social work, and has worked in residential and outpatient clinics, educational settings, and probation and parole. Her primary focus and passion has been centered around trauma and its impact on children, families, and adults. Thank you, Nick Bennis, for connecting me with Michelle. It was an honor to explore the content of their new book as the world awakens to the significance and power of mental health fluency, especially in the first responders community. What inspired you and Nick Bennis to write Mental Health Emergencies? Well, Nick and I have worked together years ago, and my professional background is in mental health. And Nick has been in a variety of settings, military, and he's worked in the mental health setting. And we both began talking and having conversations about what we've noticed in mental health. And our stories kept coming around to needing to have resources for people who can't immediately get the care they need. And these conversations stem from family members and coworkers and friends who needed immediate help and couldn't quite reach it. So we decided the best route to disseminate this information would be to write a book, a, a reference guide, a utility tool that can help people reference what to do in certain circumstances and be able to help their neighbors and their friends before they can get to the professional help that they ultimately will get. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, I read that one in four adults will experience a mental illness annually. So when it comes to mental health, whether we know it or not, we are often first responders, correct? Absolutely. We're all first responders. These are our neighbors, our children, our family or coworkers. These are people we interact with, the people on the street, the person in the grocery store, somebody that just might you could be there for them in that moment. So we want to make sure that we are prepared because it could be anybody at any time. These aren't our first responders as we know them to be firefighters, police officers. These are first responders and you're in a moment in time with a person. Your book is an excellent tool to prepare people to make the most of that moment. How can people use your book 
to be effective when they find themselves in that situation. The book is broken down into categories. So you have the most common mental illnesses and what they look like. It's not designed to replace professional experience or education. It's designed for a person to just understand possibly what they might be dealing with, how they themselves can enrich their experience and listen and be a part of somebody else's experience without traumatizing themselves or causing unnecessary pain for either person. So it's broken into categories, it's broken into mental health diagnoses, and then exact steps and procedures um, of what a person can do in any given instance for the most common things that we find on our day-to-day life. As people are getting more and more aware of mental illness, the stigma is removed. What happens when people gain a more accurate understanding of what mental health and mental illness are? My experience is we tend to not be afraid anymore. People fear it. The word itself causes people to kind of recoil. When you bring up mental health, nobody wants to discuss it. And the best thing we can do to destigmatize it and educate people is realize that it's not a it's not a mythical thing that only somebody else deals with. And the more we understand it, the more we realize that it's not a scary situation. It's something that maybe just requires a listening ear or a person being present in another person's life. It it allows someone to understand that they themselves can not only help another person but themselves and understanding what the causes are and how to really live in our day-to-day lives with what we're experiencing. We tend to look the other way or not become involved. And we want to destigmatize it so that people aren't afraid anymore, aren't afraid to discuss it, aren't afraid to work with it, aren't afraid to help the person that they want to in that moment. For those who may not be as fluent in understanding mental illness, what is something you would tell somebody to help them understand what's an emergency and what is just a situation where somebody's in need of support? That's a great question because there's several levels of emergency. And basically, in the simplest form of a mental health emergency, it's when the brain and the body are out of step with each other. So you have somebody that's reacting to a situation or something happening within themselves, and it affects their ability to think, feel, and relate to other people. And so this might be somebody just in your day-to-day life, or unfortunately, a mental health emergency can rise to the occasion of what we've been experiencing as a nation recently with public disasters, such as something in Las Vegas. We had a lot of people trying to help people in a true mental health emergency where we know it's very evident and obvious that there's a crisis evolving. So the book helps to distinguish, you know, how do you keep yourself safe? How do you keep somebody else safe? And then down to the level of somebody that just might not be able to function in their own life at that moment. It can rise to the level of somebody not using self-care or somebody just looking lost or just needing a listening ear until they can reach out and get the help they need. So when we say mental health emergencies, it's not like an emergency of somebody being an ultimate disaster, but it's when you sense somebody's just not in connection with themselves. So it doesn't have to be the big public disaster, but it has unfortunately recently been that as well. Can you describe what active listening means and why it is so valuable? Active listening is being present with a person. So there's 
specific steps to active listening. And one of the first one is just be in the space with a person. Sit there and listen. And not listen to be a problem solver, but listen to really hear what they're saying. Be able to paraphrase what the person's saying and not make assumptions. We tend to assume something because we see somebody either in a disaster circumstance or in a health crisis where we're trying to intervene, a mental health crisis. We start assuming things based on people we know or history. We want to, active listening says you draw assumptions and just sit with that person and hear what they have to say. And it doesn't mean necessarily agreeing with what they're saying, but listening and paraphrasing, nodding your head, being present, hearing what they have to say, and if they're asking for help, fully taking the time to understand what the words are that they're trying to say. Instead of rushing it, that's the time where we absolutely have to just slow down and and just stop the world for a minute and all the outside interferences and be fully present with the person. Those are the basic active listening steps. People are much more familiar, I think, today with physical fitness concepts. You know, people going to the gym and eating clean and hydrating, doing all of those types of things. But oftentimes people may not be aware of the value of mental health fitness. Could you go into the interplay between those and the value of really investing in one's own mental health? It's been said by many people in mental health that, you know, we tend to separate the body and the brain. We go in for physical checks and we do all these things with our body, but we need to do a checkup from the neck up. And that's paraphrasing Mr. Kennedy as as he puts it. We Our brain-body are connected. And so by taking care of your body, absolutely, that is the first step to mental health wellness. Some of the other things we need to do is, you know, your basic nutrition, your sleep, making sure you're sleeping, eating, not extending yourself, making sure that mindfulness is a big catchphrase that people are talking about in this day and age. And mindfulness is being present in your moments. We tend to think that the multitasker are the most successful people in our world, when in fact, multitasking really is probably contraindicated for mindfulness. We have to step back and learn to be present in each moment of everything we do rather than think if I'm doing 10 things at once, that makes me a stronger, healthier person. It takes away from what you're trying to do and being present in the moment, whether it's with your children or your job or driving in our car. So a mental health checkup is, am I present in the moment? Do I fully embrace everything I'm doing and feel it and sense it and use all of our five senses to be aware of our surroundings. You know, take in the sights, take in the sounds, take in what it feels like to be in that moment, what the smells are. If you're eating, taste what you're doing and just fully be present in your moment will help keep you in a more stable environment, will help keep your mind in a stable place rather than try to eat top text (laughs) and try to just pile on things. Slowing life down and just being present and mindful of every moment is probably one of the best things we can do for our mental health in today's world. This makes me think of the concept of self-care. 
I think people who would be purchasing this book would be people who are really invested in helping others. They say you have to take care of yourself first before you can help others, and it can often become destructive when we focus so much on other people without taking care of our own situation. Could you go into a little bit of the concept of self-care and how valuable that is? Yeah, self-care as it relates to mental health is invaluable because there's a phrase in mental health called vicarious trauma. And vicarious trauma can come by listening to somebody's story or being so involved in the person that you're not realizing that you don't have to hold all this information, that what you're doing is just being there in the moment. And it's not your job to solve and hold and carry and do it all. It takes a team. And so making sure your basic self-care, getting enough rest, being out in the sun, enjoying nature, keeping yourself healthy and avoiding substances. When you're in a mental health crisis, making sure you decompress with somebody afterwards is essential. The best professionals in the business decompress after they've had cases where they find themselves thinking as beings or reliving some experiences. Vicarious trauma is very real and it can affect the first responder or the person in the moment. So Talk about it with somebody you trust and realize that if all you've done is listen, that's enough. You don't have to solve it all. You don't have to be the carrier of somebody else's trauma. And then afterwards, if you find yourself starting to re-experience symptoms or flashbacks of even hearing somebody's story, that's a sign that you need to take it a step further and talk to somebody about it. Always know that when we're in this situation and we're hearing and we're seeing and we're listening and being present, it does affect us. And so understanding that that effect can be there, but you can also release it and talk to somebody else and stay healthy and don't become over-involved. Know when to turn it over to a professional and then let it go. That knowing your good bounds is a healthy way to establish that and not become vicariously traumatized. Do you have any recommendations or advice for those who want to increase awareness about mental health to reduce fear, to end stigmas? Are there some simple things that people can do with those that they interact with to create an environment where people understand and value mental health fluency? I think answer that would be to use mental health not as a separate subject. Mental health should be incorporated into everything else you try to incorporate and be mindful of. So when there's conversations surrounding mental health and people generate fear-based statements, it's okay to visit this. This person, it's not a scary person and it's not always related to the person who does really scary, mean things. Mental health is woven throughout our lives. And to stand up and and speak for it and be willing to talk about it with your doctor, talk about it with professionals. Get yourself as much information as you can. The most seasoned professional in this business is continually educating themselves on the newest, latest, and greatest. And there's no station that we arrive to that we say, we're there, we know now. We don't. There's cutting-edge technology on how to work with mental health, how to help yourself, coming out faster than we can even keep up. So always generating and seeking more information. And the nice thing about the book is, it's a reference guide as well. So you might be read it and three months down the road go, what was that? And you can pick it up and reread. But always seeking knowledge and trying to dispel any myths that are out there that you're aware of. If somebody is generating the negative, these are scary people that will cause harm to us. So be willing to speak up and, and be the champion, but also be informed with 
what it is you're talking about. Knowledge is power. And I know we spoke earlier and you mentioned how this book has far-reaching impact, regardless of the age of the person reading the book and in all the developmental stages of human life, the mind is incorporated in all those processes. And you've talked about how this book has had an impact from the elderly to the young. While respecting everybody's privacy, are you able to share some examples of how the book has benefited others so that people in similar situations may recognize the opportunity they have to be a light and support to others? Absolutely. I've I've been fortunate to be able to work with people and have them work with this book and come back and talk to me. My experience ranges from a 15-year-old that really has severe anxiety and the parents are at a loss. What do I do? How do I help my child? And working with them and using the book as a reference, this particular youth has evolved into a person who went from being able to not even take a driver's test or even think about getting a learner's permit, which is pretty much the prime of what everybody wants to be doing at 15 and 16, to embracing it. They were able to use the book as a guide to supplement and help them understand what was what they were learning in therapy so that when this particular individual reached the age of 16, That fear was down enough to the point that they took the driver's test, passed the driver's test, and was able to get in the car and practice and start believing in themselves. Because it's as much for the person that's helping the person as it is for the person experiencing it. So the parents were able to use the words and the language that was helpful, and the book served as a utility tool to help them with that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there was a 91-year-old individual who had signing and had told me that through the use of the book, this person now kind of has regained some independent life. The family were considering having some care come in and losing the independence of this person. And this person was rather lost. And through the stories that this person was able to tell me, getting over the loss of a spouse, the loss of the freedom that you have with age. You lose the ability to drive. You lose a lot of independence. And with that comes some mental health crises. And so working through that, this person was able to regain some of that feeling of, I can make it through this. And I now have the tools I need to move forward and help myself. And with that came therapy. With that came medical interventions, but it pointed the person in the right direction to where they had that base knowledge to seek the help they needed and have a waypoint or a set point, if you will, to find the help they need. One of my book signings, we had a veteran's wife come up and she was just lost. She really felt like, what do I do? And she picked up the book and wanted to come back and tell me that it helped her understand some of the trauma that her spouse had experienced, you know, being a, a vet that has returned home after being on active duty and was able to at least have an understanding of it, maybe not be able to help, but just able to sit with herself through some of the trauma and some of the experience that her spouse was having to go through upon returning from active duty. Getamation largely focuses on adversity and how people overcome challenges and difficulties. How does being fluent in common concepts associated with mental health, how does that contribute to a person's ability to be resilient? Resiliency, it's a word that doesn't really have a meaning. I mean, it means to be able to bounce back. But again, I think it's knowledge and understanding to be resiliency is a, to understand something. You, resiliency is almost like a muscle that you build. It's not an exact muscle, but 
in a comparison. It's something you have to build and work on. So by learning more about mental health, you build a little resiliency. About learning about different conditions, mental health conditions you may experience, you're going to build some more resiliency. Learning about resources is going to build resiliency. And then also, I like to use like a, a rubber band or elastic, whatever, wherever you are in the country, you call it. But you twist and you turn and you get bent out of shape and you need to snap back. And sometimes where it breaks and you take that elastic and you snap it and you tie a knot in it, where it sticks becomes the strongest area. So because you've had a mental health crisis or you have a loved one from a mental health crisis, what it does is it tells you that people can bounce back. And people can be stronger than ever. It doesn't mean you, you have this for the rest of your life. Some people have one mental health emergency or crisis in their life and never have another. So resiliency is the ability to know that you can bounce back. You can come back and be stronger than ever. And that's what I think the book instills is that you're not alone and there is a way out. What are some spaces in our world that you would love to see increased mental health fluency and awareness? I think, first of all, um, in our schools, I think the younger we start with skill building, the better we're going to be. Knowledge, again, I am a firm believer that knowledge is power. And so we start talking about this like we talk about everything with our youth, with elementary students, with pre-K. I've gone into Head Starts and had conversations about how we take care of ourselves. And then it just becomes a part of what we do. So I think academics is a huge place where we have to increase the knowledge base. I think workforces, I, I believe that companies, if they really want healthy and balanced and productive employees, they're going to understand that allowing people to have a space and a time to deal with this stuff is going to be helpful and to educate so that people aren't afraid of the person that might be having an off day. Government, there probably isn't a place that doesn't need awareness. <laughs> I, you know, the list to go yeah. on and on, but I, sure. I really believe that we need to start where our people are, and that's the workforce. And if we mm. can help our general workforce out there, we're reaching most of America. And you catch one person, and they catch five. So this is just something that goes on and on and on. The word spreads and it goes fast. And if somebody takes away one kernel of knowledge, then that might be what they need to help the next person. I love the book, Michelle. I know it's having a powerful impact on police organizations as well that are seeking to prevent violence and being evidence-based in their operations and de-escalation. The book is really valuable for those who are involved in crisis negotiations who need to rapidly understand dynamic situations and gain rapport quickly in order to prevent violence and, and loss of life. I'm excited to have people dig into this and really take their consciousness into a place where we stop shaming one another or we stop being afraid of one another and really find these solutions, resolving conflict. I just think this is an excellent tool to applaud your work here. Well, I appreciate it. We wrote it for that reason, for that very reason, because being in this business, being even in the mental health peripherally and not a clinician, the stories are the same. Everywhere we go, we hear the same. We're thousands of miles apart, but when we compare stories, we're hearing the same stories. So it, there's no mm -hmm. geographic bounds to the need of this. And that's mm -hmm. that's the beauty of this is it crosses age. There's just no bounds to what can happen. I have a sister-in-law that's a person that answers calls for police, and she immediately contacted her chief, and they've ordered it for their precinct. 
for that reason because she just thought that's what she hears on these calls when officers are calling in. They're, you know, they're trained in certain aspects, but not everybody can have this knowledge, and especially mm-hmm. when you're in that moment. This could be carried in a car and pulled out and referenced immediately without having Absolutely. to go through years of training. <laughs> so yeah. that's what right. that was our biggest hope with writing it was exactly what you just said. It speaks volumes to what you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, the, the vicarious trauma and I think of veterans, I think the military, I think of these first responders, firemen, paramedics, men and women who serve in these roles of being police officers. Oftentimes there's a culture there and, you know, just suck it up, deal with it. And oftentimes people start suffering in silence. I think of that career of really traumatic environments for years and decades and how that takes its toll on the psyches of these public servants. Sad to know that 22 veterans a day take their own life. More police take their own lives than die in violent scenes and, and traffic crashes. And so it's just very exciting for me to see your work go out into the first responder community, what you're creating in the world where we have a very real awareness of these realities so that we can splint an arm that's broken and we can bring healing to somebody who's dealing with mental health problems. Love to end this episode by asking you six questions. I ask all my guests, can I run through these questions with you? I would love that. Who are you thankful for today? My family. My family and, brings me peace. And what are you thankful for today? I think at the risk of sounding cheesy, <laughs> for a better lack of a better word, I am very <laughs> thankful for hum- humankind. I work in this business currently daily, and every day I never cease to be amazed by somebody at their feeling the very worst, that they can find that glimmer of hope in their life. So the ability for resiliency, the ability for people to bounce back, I am eternally grateful for that. And how do you fuel the fire within you? Good question. I love what I do. I think I came into this profession because it fueled me every day. I've been doing this 20 years, and I, I don't know if I have enough years on the surf to fulfill even part of what I want to accomplish. I wake up every day with a new desire to do something, and I do it. And I think learning and education helps do that. I, I'm always pursuing continuing education and more knowledge in my field. What has adversity taught you to value? Time. I think time. What I found and, and what I counsel people with is time is our friend. And given enough time in the right circumstances, we can heal things. We, we tend to want to speed up our lives, but I think time is essential in this day and age. And what are you doing today you never thought you could? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I would say uh, <laughs> I would say get up every day and just have that fire after the years I've done. Just completely thoroughly be enthralled and love my job after this long. I, I get up every day and I go and I've been wearing a Fitbit and I I do about five and a half miles a day just wandering around the building I work in helping wow. and interacting with people. And, yeah, and I, I sit at the end of the day and go, really? I did five and a half miles. And I'm in awe of that. I'm in awe that I can do that and at the end of the day still feel energy to live my life. And then what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could? I hope change lives. You know, I hope, like, writing the book was something I never even dreamed that this was never even in my concept of life. <laughs> and I just <laughs> met the right person at the right time. So I think it would be to continue to educate and help people so that there's going to be a next generation. I won't be able to do this forever, but when I go, 
I hope that there's enough education out there for people to carry forward. Thank you, Michelle, for taking time out to speak with Get Up Nation. How can people get a copy of the book or learn more about you? On Amazon. We're on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. We also have an Instagram page, Mental Health Emergencies, all one word. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Get Up Nation audience? Just that I appreciate this podcast and, and how you've reached out and helped varieties of people. And I think this is the new technology of the 21st century. This is how we reach a lot of people. And I want to thank you for, for having this venue to let people know about things that might change their life. Thank you, Michelle Hart, co-author of Mental Health Emergencies, a guide to recognizing and handling mental health crises. She has dedicated her life to serving others and is at the forefront of helping create a world that is conscious, empathetic, and fearlessly able and effective in facing mental illness. Join her in liberating our world from the stigma and fear of mental illness so that we can live a life of less anxiety, less fear, less stress, less depression, more gratitude, more peace, and achieve a higher level of awareness and health than our current standards where so many are slipping through the cracks. Get a copy of her and Nick Bennis' new book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Drop off a box of them at your local dispatch center, fire department, police department, and emergency room, or any organization in your community that values people. We're entering a new era where people become more effective than they have ever been in caring for one another. Certainly our world demands it. Meet that demand today. Thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation podcast. Subscribe, like, and follow me into a new era of unparalleled progress that leaves no one behind and achieves the height of human potential. Adversity is often the window into our greatest progress if we refuse to be intimidated by its surprising gifts.